Good morning. Praise the Lord. Wonderful worship, wonderful worship. I'm telling you what excellence in the worship and uh, what presence of the excellent one himself. Amen. So glad to be here with you this morning and uh, in talking to Pastor Josh last night, uh, well, a few times, um, he told me to tell every one of you that he misses you and he loves you very, very much and can't wait to get, get back home. So, amen. He wanted me to send his love to you. I'm honored today to be here with you and to... Um, preach the gospel. Um, I thank the Lord this morning because I know that Jesus is still on the throne and he's still coming back. If you believe that, say amen. He's still coming back. And we're not waiting disgruntled for his coming, are we? We're waiting with anticipation, amen, that his arrival is going to be imminent and quicker than what we can even imagine. How many believe that this morning? Our Savior is coming back for us just like He said He would. And it won't be on a comet. Amen. He's coming back, the Bible says, on a cloud of glory. Amen. I'm glad for that this morning. We want to uh, thank you again for the invitation. We appreciate Pastor Josh. I met him, I believe it was two years ago, at General Convention in Bedford, Texas. And uh, when we met immediately, I was uh, just... uh, overwhelmed with his excellence, his his disposition, his mannerisms, his personality, but more than anything, the Christ-like spirit that he portrayed and that he, if you don't mind me saying it, gave off. And uh, it was very, very uh, refreshing to meet someone like that. Uh, I really believe that if we ever needed anything in the church today, as far as the Pentecostal circles and the full gospel circles, we need excellence. And you say amen. We need excellence, amen. I, I really believe that, and I just can't get that word out of my mind and out of my spirit when I met uh, Pastor Josh Pennington there, that uh, just just everything about him, it just, uh, it just spoke of excellence, and it spoke of, of today's preacher of the gospel. And uh, there's nothing wrong with yesterday's preacher of the gospel because I'm probably one of those. <laughs> and, uh, but I do thank the Lord today for this connection I believe it's divine, and I believe this is a divine appointment. And uh, I do have a word for you. Would it be all right if I preach it to you? Amen. All right. So if you would this morning, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 24. The book of Luke, chapter number 24, and verse number 13. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that I'm honored this morning, and it's just a joy of mine to have my son with me, my oldest son. He's 23, and I have... A daughter that's 25, married, been married two years, and uh, she is graduating from nursing school this December. And then I have an 18-year-old son that just graduated last year and now is starting school for uh, college uh, in the fall. Well, just a couple weeks. Uh, He's already enrolled. And then I have an 11-year-old. And uh, so I'm done with children. My wife and I have been wonderfully married, and I mean that, I'm not just saying it, but we've been wonderfully married for 26 years, and uh, I'm very, very pleased with uh, who God put in my life to be a help me to me, and also to um, finally make me feel good about myself sometimes. How many of you men are thankful for your wife that makes you feel good about yourself? Amen. Well, all righty then. 
Maybe I'm preaching the wrong message. No, I'm just kidding. No, it is a joy to be a child of the living God. To sing the songs that we just sang this morning, they're not only inspirational, but they're invoking. I was invoked this morning and provoked as well to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the spirit of truth by which he saved me in. Amen? Aren't you glad this morning that you're born again? And there could be somebody here that isn't born again, someone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And I want to give you a good, good, good news bulletin that you will have that opportunity before this service is over to give your life to Jesus Christ. and Let Him take over, not in just areas that you can't control, but let Him take over everything. How many glad you give Him everything? Amen. I'm glad I give Him everything. I want to read out of the book of Luke, chapter number 24 and verse number 13. If you're there, just say a good amen. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. They talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answered, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and found it even so as the woman had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, in red lettering my Bible says, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that it is infallible and immutable. Lord, it never changes, but it will if we receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, change us. So this morning I'm asking you to anoint me afresh and anew. Touch this mind, Lord, touch this spirit and this body. Help me to speak, God, this morning as it would be the oracles of God. Save, heal, deliver, and set free. And we give you the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And Christ Point Church said, Amen and Amen. This morning, if you would, I'd like to just bring to you a text uh, entitled simply, Seven Miles or Seven Inches from Jesus. Seven miles or seven inches from Jesus. Now, in the time that we're living right now, and you must understand that I'm an old school preacher, so uh, it might get a little loud and maybe a little exciting here just a little bit. But in the time that we're living now, it seems that, I don't want to just deal with the media, but it seems like society uh, would like to uh, portray the image that the gospel is not 
a story anymore. It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a faith anymore. It's more of an ideology. And so with it, there is room for it to pass. Can you say amen? Seems like for society, it, they think that it's room, there's room for it to pass on. Let's bring in something new. Because now the gospel of Jesus Christ seemingly is an ideology. It's not necessarily a faith. It's not necessarily the faith. It is an ideology. Just as Islam and Buddhism and all those other things have gotten their structure from is ideology and philosophy. But I want you to understand this morning that the gospel is still the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is still the good news. How many is glad you heard the good news one day? It's still the news that tells a man or a woman that is bound by sin, uh, not just wallowing in it, but bound in it, whether it be morally, uh, whether it be, uh, uh, you know, physically, whether it be spiritual sin, whatever the sin case may be. It still tells a man or a woman that even though you're in darkness, you can come out of that darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can still have life and you can still have it more abundantly. Come on, amen. It's not just a life that we live because we are existing or because it's something that we want to try out like a new outfit or maybe a new car or a new home or some kind of new way of thinking. But this is not something we try out. This is something that we put on. Amen. When we get born again, we've received the spirit of the living Christ. We are regenerated. I'm glad I'm regenerated, aren't you? I'm glad I'm not a degenerate anymore. I'm glad I don't think like I used to, walk, talk, or look like I used to. I'm glad that on the inside of me is the living reality of a resurrected Christ. Hallelujah. I'm glad that no longer do I look at tomorrow as being something that I have to regret or look at today as being something to fear or look at tomorrow as something that I don't know what to do with. I'm glad that as the old song that used that we used to sing, I'm glad I know who has tomorrow in his hands. Hallelujah. I'm glad that I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. Still yet today with all that being said, we live in a time where it seems that so many people have a mentality or philosophy of Jesus, but they don't have the relationship that he desires. Seemingly it's a relationship that they desire and not one that he desires. His desire, how many of you understand, is a little different than ours sometimes. The Bible says that he would give us the desires of our heart. You know that scripture well. But I want you to understand, I look at it in a different light. Instead of just giving me that new bow and arrow that I want, amen, or giving me that new fishing pole or, or giving me that new whatever, I look at it as the desires that's in my heart are given to me by the character and by the life and by the person and by the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen this morning? In other words, I don't just look at him as being someone that I run to just to get something better in my life. I look at him as being life in itself. He is my life. He's everything that I desire. He's everything I want. When you, when we were singing the song a while ago about the eternal kingdom of Jesus, 
Jesus and we were talking about there's power in his name I know that power I know it presently I don't just know it in the past or have a historical event that took place in my life at a religious altar brother when I went to the altar sister when I went to the altar I went to the altar as being a sinner at the foot of Calvary hallelujah and I made up my mind that I was not going to get up until I knew that I knew that I knew that I was not going to be the same person that that man was going to die there and that there would be an epitaph as what the old singer used to sing that sin died here somebody shout hallelujah if you're saved this morning you see, I really believe that we are in a time in society where it seems that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been so watered down. Please, if you will, just humor my criticism for just a minute here. But it seems like it's been so watered down and that it's been reduced down to an ideology. It's as if the Tower of Baal is being resurrected again and being erected again. You see, at the Tower of Baal, they said, up, let us make bricks so we can get to God lest he comes down and confounds us and makes us all speak different and have diversity and what it was is that they were thinking in their mind that they had the power to bring down the divinity of God into a place why because they had come to a place of humanism where they God was logic where God was rational where God was reasonable upon the part of their power as a being a human how many of you understand that God is still sovereign Lord I wish I could preach this morning. God is still sovereign. You know what that means in Oklahoma terms? It means that he's God. He can do what he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to do it, who he wants to do it to and through. Did you hear me this morning? He is sovereign. He will never change and that causes him to be sovereign. If he could change ma'am, he would never be sovereign. But the fact that he can't change because there's nothing in him that needs to be changed. Amen. Everything that exists, exists around the very knowledge that God is God and he will never change hallelujah he is the same Hebrews 13 and 8 yesterday today and forever in in this in this uh, epic uh, you could say scene of events that is taking place seven miles or seven inches from Jesus when you look at Luke chapter number 24 and you look at these two men that are walking down the road to Emmaus everybody say Emmaus Emmaus. They're walking down the road to Emmaus and their, their journey uh, is, uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus is around, and please forgive me uh, if, if I don't say everything just right, but but their, their trip is a span of around seven miles, as seven and three-quarter mile, but I like to just say seven, amen, seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And these two men are very significant. One we find out in verse number 18 is none other than Cleopas, which was a disciple of Jesus in the latter part of the ministry of Jesus on the earth. But the other disciple, he's a little obscure. No, it doesn't doesn't say who he is, but we know who the writer is of this record. The writer of this record is none other than Luke, the physician. So upon studying and historical uh, uh, his, uh, Jewish historians and, and people of that nature, come to the conclusion that we believe that it is Luke. Now we're not for sure, but this morning, if you'll humor me, I'd like to say that this is Luke and Cleopas, and they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and while they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they are having a conversation that's not one that really the world needs to hear. 
Amen. Have you ever had a conversation that the world doesn't need to hear as a Christian? Anybody ever had a Christian conversation that, <laughs> that the world doesn't need to hear? Yes, you have. Amen. I have too. I've had those conversations. What is that? Well, I know I'm saved, but my goodness, where's Jesus? Come on. I know I, I'm a Christian and I love God, but, but where is this immaculate, majestic power of God? The questioning of the Christian today is what must be dealt with in our society. There are a lot of people that still say Jesus is coming, but they don't necessarily live like He's coming. They say He's coming because it's knowledge in the church that's taught and preached still the rapture. Everybody say rapture. It's not a bad word, I promise you. They're catching away. They're snatching up by the nap of the neck in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, Paul said. The word, the, the word twinkling there in, in the Greek, it literally means ten times faster than you can bat your eye. That's what it means. The twinkling means ten times faster than you can bat your eye. That's how fast Jesus is coming. There'll be no anomalies. There'll be no fluctuation in time, amen, or the existence of everything. He's going to come that quick. It's not going to be one of those things that I've been hearing about. People saying that he's going to come in the sky and everybody's going to be able to get ready for the catching away. No, you need to be ready today. You need to be ready right now. You need to give your heart to Jesus Christ right now and and let him take over and write your name, yes, in the Lamb's book of life. Aren't you glad today that the Lamb's book of life still has a registry that hasn't been filled up? Come on, somebody. Amen. Your name can still be put in that book of life. But there is a conversation that seemingly is going on in the world today, especially in the church. And that is, where is his coming? We know he left, but where is he, when's he coming? Where, when is he going to come? You see, it was around seven and three-quarter miles from Jerusalem. These are actually uh, the, the conversations that do not need to be talked about much, uh, except if you, we are uh, discussing doctrine and ex discussing uh, things that edify the church. These are actually the closing scenes of the earthly life of Jesus that we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Some people in the church today and even in the world have had things happen in life to them that have caused a certain distance between them and Jesus. If you say not me, Pastor, I'm, I, I'm as close to Jesus more than I ever was. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to get close to Jesus. But you don't just get close to Jesus and stay close to Him. Amen. It's not at your position and my position for our desire to be greater than His desire. Did you hear me? His desire to be close to us is greater than our desire to be close to Him. What causes us to want to be close to Jesus is not just because we heard a good song or we heard a good sermon or we went to revival or camp meeting. I'm 18, this is 19 days in preaching right now. Amen. It's not because of that. If anybody's revived, it ought to be me right now. Praise God. It, it, you, you see, it's not, it's not the fact that we want to be close to Jesus. It's that the spirit inside of us that has been regenerated now has become, amen, that that is like God, not God. God but like God. Why? Because we're partakers of his divine nature. And so because of that the fellowship and the union that God wants to have with the son is there at all times. Are you still here this morning? 
It's there at all times. I don't just want to be close to him, brother, when I'm on the platform or when I'm sitting in the pew or the chair or whatever listening to somebody. I want to be close to him even in my subconscious state. My wife at times, she'll wake me up. My son can testify to this. My wife sometimes, she'll wake me up and, 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 and I'll say, why are you waking me up? She said, because you're preaching in your sleep. She said, she said, first time she did that, I was a real young evangelist, and I'm still young. Yes, I am. You, I'll tell, if, you, if you must know how old I am, I'll tell you in private. But anyway, my wife, she would say, you're preaching in your sleep. And so she did it for a long time. And finally, after I said one time, I said, well, what am I saying? Is it good? And she said, I don't know what you're saying. She just says, I know it's preaching because you're, you're ranting and you're raving and you stop. And, and, and then you'll go again. And then you jerk. She said, you're preaching in your sleep. And I said, Lord, is that wrong? Is that wrong? Is that wrong? And so I got down and I prayed and the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And he said, son, you might go to sleep. But I never slept. Hallelujah to God. He said, I never sleep. So that told me that his ardent desire for me is greater than mine for him. Are y'all still here this morning? His desires is different and they're not different in the sense of a human understanding of what desires are. His desires are divine desires. And when God, my friend, has a divine desire, guess what? Something's going to be created. Can you say amen? When God has a divine desire, something is going to be created and it is going to have life in it. I'm glad that the Word of God says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all all things have become new. The very creation of God Almighty has been deposited in me and that is the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I stand here today and tell you that you can either be seven miles from Jesus or seven inches from Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Some people have had lots of things happen. I, I, I would beg to say this morning and and, and, and I believe that it would be right that most everybody in this building that has a relationship and that is born again has had some kind of conflict in your life this week. Maybe this morning. Maybe you're having conflict right now. A conflict that is more than just a mental conflict. It's a spiritual conflict. It's a conflict that you within yourself don't have the resources. You have the resources of a, of a great pastor, Pastor Josh Pennington. I, I, I love to hear him preach. I, I've, been, I've been listening to him. I, I'd never heard him before, and I've, I've been listening to him. And, and I, I really love the way he preaches, the, the anointing upon his life, the administration of that anointing. So there's no doubt that you've been given tools, and, and you've been edified in the Spirit, and in the Spirit of the Word to be able to go through things in your life. But as far as the very power that exercises victory in your life, it only comes through Jesus. Are you still here this morning? It comes through Jesus. Your personal relationship and individual relationship
relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. It's not a cultural relationship that gets you through your spiritual conflicts. Can you say amen? We've got too many people that are concerned about the culturally driven aspects of our society than we are the kingdom-driven aspects of the kingdom. Can you say amen? When the church becomes culturally driven, then the kingdom and all of its principles and all of its bylaws and all of its power, it seems to not be absent, but it seems to be a blur. What we need in the church today is we need to be so close to God that we we are not changed by culture. We're not changed with culture, but that the kingdom comes and brings its dominion into the culture and so that the culture is now redeemed and sanctified and God can come in in any desire and in any way that he chooses to. He's just looking for a generation and it's not the millennials, it's not the baby boomers, it's not generation X. has nothing to do with the category of the generation that's going to see a revival of Christ or the revival of the gospel or a revival of an ardent desire to be closer to Jesus than ever before. It has all to do with a regenerated heart that says unto God I know that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. There is a power my friends that works on the inside of you that is greater than your culturally ideas. Amen. Culture is one thing. Kingdom is another. These men here have once again, these two men, I'm trying to hurry, but these two men, they've come to a place now uh, where they've allowed uh, the atmosphere of their culture to come in on them and actually oppress them. These two were probably disciples of Jesus, as I said, during the latter part of his ministry. But it is wholly unknown why they were going to Emmaus. Nobody, I've, I've never read anything in studying why it says they were going to Emmaus. Some believe that maybe one of them lived there, a friend lived there, or something to that effect. It may have been that this was their native place or, or that they had a friend in the vicinity. They seem to have given up all for lost. I've come to encourage you this morning and challenge you to continue to be edified in the Word of God. Continue to be edified to the point that when you are studying your Bible, when you're hearing the Word of God, that that edification, it becomes a very fiber of your makeup, the way you talk, the way you walk, the words that come out of your mouth, amen. every thought that comes into your head, it edifies your spirit. It edifies you to the point that the foundation under your feet of the doctrines of Christ has no room for give. Can you say amen? You say, what are you talking about, preacher? You you sound like one of them dogmatic preachers. Boy, people used to tell me that all the time. You're so dogmatic. I'm actually really calm this morning. You're so dogmatic. And then I, I'm, I had to look the word up. And the word dogmatic, the number one definition of it is absolute. Absolute. I'm absolutely born again. I'm absolutely baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I do have an initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gets utterance. And if it gets real happy in here this morning, I will cut a rug. Amen. Hallelujah. You ever wondered why they use the expression cut a rug? Because your feet move so fast you cut the rug. Hallelujah. Why? It's not because of a fashion. It's not because of a Pentecostal culture per se. But it's because of the Pentecostal experience. 
Many people today in the church world, they look at Pentecostal. If you ask them, do you, are you Pentecostal? Absolutely, I go to a Pentecostal church. The name on the church is Pentecostal whatever. I tell them, I say, well, are you baptized in the Holy Ghost? No. I said, well, I'd like to talk to you about being a Pentecostal then. If you'll just give me a few minutes, I'd like to talk to you about what a Pentecostal is. Amen. It's not just the 50th day on the Jewish calendar. It's somebody. Woo, the Holy Ghost. It's somebody that has such a close relationship with Jesus that Jesus says, I've got to put something in them to let them know that I'll never leave them, nor forsake them, but I'll be with them to the end of the world when their world seemingly comes to an end. I did it with my disciples and my apostles in the old days. He said, I need to do it today. How many want him to do it today? Amen. He said, I'll not, he said I must go away so that the comforter can come. He said, I'll not leave you comfortless. You're going to know that I'm with you because I'm going to allow the agency, amen, of the person of my father to come and live on the inside of you. You're not just getting a little part, a nature of me. You're getting all of me. Can you say amen? One man said the other day that God or that Jesus was half man and half God. I said, oh, sir, I'm so wrong. I'm so sorry that you're so wrong. You ever said that to anybody? I'm so sorry you're so wrong. Finally, oxymoron, but it's the truth. You're wrong. He's not half God, half man. He is all God. And he is all man. That's why he could go through what he went through in the wilderness is so that you and I could have a way of escape when the time would come. He was justified in his temptations. He was justified in all of the atrocities that he went through for you and I. They were great men, I believe they were, and they, 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 they were in a place though that their conversation had just brought so much loss upon their faith. It seemed to have given up all for lost, and to have come to the conclusion that Jesus was not the Messiah. So they naturally conversed about it, and there were many things which they could not explain. Their master had been crucified contrary to their expectation. Church, their hopes were dashed. Their anticipation was disappointed. You ever come to church, and when you got to church, you were so you were anticipating a great service, or you went to somewhere a meeting, and you were anticipating a great move of God, or or, or, or you went to read your Bible, or went to pray, and you did it with anticipation, and and then uh, to your chagrin, uh, you were disappointed. Anybody ever been disappointed by God? I've never been disappointed by God. What does disappoint me is, is that sometimes I, I, God doesn't move when I want him to move. Now that's my human side, amen? But my faith side still tells me that even though he hasn't moved, it doesn't mean that he's moved. Can you say amen? Even though that he doesn't move, it doesn't mean that he's moved. He's not seven miles from me if I don't want him to be. Come on now, hallelujah. If you want to be close to God, he wants to be close to you. If you don't want to be close to God, then he doesn't, then he doesn't uh, have to be close to you. Though he's a God that is so full of grace and mercy, and he's so true, that what he does is he behooves you with that seed that he put in you as a child of God. I'm talking to that person that thinks they can be saved three times every month you can't be saved three times every month I mean, no, you can only be born again one time you're, you can only be born again one time, after that guess what you're a child of God there's a big problem there, amen 
Because you know what? You can run, you can hide like my granny used to say. I had one in Pentecostal granny. She had a bun like that. And when granny got to shouting and jumping and running, guess what? You got out of the way. She wasn't but about 85 pounds soaking wet. But granny, I'm telling you, I was raised. Anybody ever raised plucking chickens? Glory to God. I was raised. That's the kind of life I had. Amen. My, oh, just a farm life. But anyway, granny, when she'd get to shouting in that church, her bobby pins would fly out. And I probably heard a preacher say this before, but it's the truth. Granny's bobby pins, bobby pins flew out, and her hair come down to here. And after church, she was having to hold it up. Come on. Amen. Because my granny didn't care when the Holy Ghost came upon her. And all she would have to do was say Jesus, and then her lips start stamming. Just, just say Jesus, and she just starts stamming. She just loved Jesus. All night long, you could hear it if you walked by her bedroom. Jesus, 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 Jesus. She has oneness. UPC. That's all she did. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Are you oneness, Brother Holly? No, I'm threeness. But my granny, what she would do is she would just pray constantly, constantly, constantly. And you know what? She didn't have a, a, a very uh, solid and, and ardent uh, and, uh, and, and just adamant desire for the doctrine of, of the Godhead. She just loved Jesus. Can we do that again? Can we just love Jesus? If we can just love Jesus like he loves us, guess what? Not that the world will be a better place, but heaven will start sounding sweeter all the time. Heaven will start sounding like a place where people have a desire to go to again. You say, what are you talking about? These men, their hopes were dashed. They were upset. Jesus was crucified. He was gone. Amen. They went to go try to find him in the sepulcher. He wasn't there. Their anticipation was disappointed and they were now returning in sadness and began a conversation along the way of the things which had happened in Jerusalem. You know, things happen all the time. Things happen all the time. Our country is in such an upheaval right now of social distress and, 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 the, and the fractures in our, in our social and economical infrastructure are just getting larger and larger. They're becoming fault lines. Can you say amen? They're becoming fault lines. Third world rate conditions, uh, we're looking at them. We're not too far from a third world rate condition. How many of you understand that? So how can you say that? As uh, Brother Yates was speaking a while ago about us, I, I've traveled overseas extensively for 16 years, 16 years, all over, not just different parts. And here's the thing that I don't, when, when I would go over, a lot of times I didn't go over with groups. I went by myself. I went by myself. 16 years of that missionary work. I, and, and all over Africa. I've been to the Congo. I've been to Angola. I've been to the places where the yellow fever is. All these kind of things. I'm saying this for a reason. And, and I've, 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 I've never taken a yellow fever shot. I've had to sign a death waiver in Zambia for not taking a yellow fever shot. Angola, I'm sorry, Angola. And then I've had two, uh, 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 two um, uh, malaria pills. And I couldn't take any more of them because I felt like I was backsliding. Why not? This makes you feel like you were back when I used to be in the world. But anyway, I've I, 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 never really taken any, any, anything. And the reason that I've done it is not to prove anything. It's because I knew that if he was big enough to save me 
And I knew that if he was loving enough to save me, he's loving enough to keep me no matter what. And you say, amen. My desire is to rest upon him in everything. Paul said in him we live and move and have our being. But I've been to those third world countries, India, all the way up to the northern border, amen, of Pakistan, all the way up there. I mean, uh, to the border of Pakistan, all the way up there, preaching the gospel. And I can tell you, friend, that I've seen third world rate conditions. I've preached to the untouchables. I've preached to Muslims. I've preached to uh, people all over the world. And I can see that America and its culture is falling headlong into a third world rate condition. We are going to have to see a revival. Amen? We're going to have to see not only a church revival, but we're going to have to see the church come into a perpetual state of revival to where we love and believe in Jesus so much that it's 24-7 Jesus again. Amen? 24-7 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Some people say, well, you talk too much about Jesus. If I don't talk about him, I feel unsaved. Amen? Some people say, well, why don't you talk about this? And why don't you talk about that? Why don't you address this? Why aren't your messages more surrounded about this? I said, because I'm not a, a, a King Saul. We are not Amen. Phyllis, uh, philosophers. We're not uh, any of that. What we are is we are preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not preachers of the gospel of the politics of our nation. We're not preachers of the gospel of the hope and, and, and endearing love. Amen. For, for, for something that seemingly if God doesn't come in and fix itself that it's going to fall apart before our eyes. We are gospel preachers and we're supposed to tell everybody that yes Jesus died for your sin and I thank God for the message of the cross. Can you say amen? But I want you to know the full message of the cross is not just talking about the cross. The full message of the cross takes me to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. A borrowed tomb at that because how many knows he didn't have a grave. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. He didn't have a spot that God had picked out for him to dwell until God raised him up. It was a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea, he, he gave that tomb for them to lay the body of the Christ in. And then on the third day, I don't know about you, but it makes chills go all up and down me when I think about the third day. Because on the third day, the Bible said that Jesus rose from the dead. Nobody has done that since lately. Can you say amen? Nobody has rose from the dead since then and nobody ever will until that great getting up morning when you and I, when we die in the righteousness and justification of that resurrected one himself on that day when Gabriel the archangel puts the trumpet to his mouth oh hallelujah and Jesus with a shout himself comes glory be to God the Bible said that the dead in Christ are going to rise first and then we which are alive and remain we're going to be caught up oh I think I might have some Pentecostals in here this morning your pastor told me to just preach lay hands on you prophesy he said because you're Pentecostals can I tell you this morning if you're a Pentecostal you're baptized in fire you've been saved by the blood of the lamb there's coming a day soon and very soon that the king of glory is coming back for you and when he comes back he's not coming back for someday somehow want to be a man girlfriend or has been wife he's coming back for a bride that has made herself ready. Somebody having a, a time with Jesus right now. Just shout hallelujah. 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 You understand this morning
that God, hallelujah, is anticipating the arrival of his son's bride. Amen. God himself, these men, they were upset because some things had happened. In other words, Jesus' ministry started with the choosing of his disciples. Some were fishermen caught in the net of his majestic and divine wisdom. Some as he divinely, and, and they were because he divinely directed the casting of the net that he had never touched before. And he cast it into the, and he directed it into a spot that he had never been before. Some were chosen because he with such gentleness and godlike discernment spoke of places that they had been that only they knew. Nathaniel and Philip. Some caught in the tax of their sin, Matthew as he walked into their life with the liberation through faith. Some were picked through hope. I believe Judas Iscariot was picked out of hope. Amen. Picked out of hope. How can you say that? The woman at the well, she came back and told the people, the men of her village, she said, come see a man that told me all that I am. All that I am. Not all that I've done, ma'am, sir, but all that I am. Some people today in the entertainment world, they try to they, they try to make us believe that they are ardent Christians, that they are they are agonizing Christians, and, and what they do is not what they are. Look at y'all get quiet now. But how many of you understand what you do is what you are? According to the Bible, the Bible says, He that is righteous, what? Doeth righteousness. He that sinneth is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from what? The beginning. Speaking of the generation, speaking of a generation, speaking of a generating, the generation that we're in right now looks at Jesus as being a philosophy or something that needs to pass and something new needs to come in. They've got a theory today that there is what they call the new Pentecostals. According to this Bible and every Bible that I've read, there is no new Pentecostal. <laughs> there, is no, there is no new Pentecostal. There is no there is no new Christianity. There is no new Christendom. God did not mess up on the first one. Can you say amen? He did it all right and he did it to the point where Paul even said in principle of God's keeping power, Paul said it of his own life. He says, I know that what I've committed unto him that he is able to keep against the day that is to come. Hallelujah. And how many of you understand that that's the day we're in right now? He'll keep you no matter what's going on in your life. No matter what anybody says or does or what comes down the pike, this wonderful, majestic, and glorious Savior, this one who said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it back up. He will keep you, amen, to the point that you don't have to do nothing, say nothing, think about nothing. You'll say, but what about my mind? I'm so stressed out. Can I tell you, the Bible says, perfect peace have they that keep thy law, and nothing shall by any means hurt them. The Bible says in Psalms chapter one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He shall bring forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If you love the word of God, shall Yes, this morning. 
Some he picked out of faith, out of hope. Judas Iscariot. People look at Judas Iscariot as being the devil boy. The devil disciple. But if you read the scripture, you'll find out that Jesus says when he had betrayed him, when Judas had betrayed him, that Judas, the Bible says, Satan hath entered his heart. I submit to you that Judas wasn't demon possessed when Jesus picked him out. I've heard many of us preachers, and I said it years ago, I don't say it anymore. One was the devil. Well, at the latter part, yes. Because Jesus' ministry was getting so, so noticeable and there was such, so much notoriety and there were so many proofs and, and passions and infallible proofs of, of who he was and what he could do. And, and so what there was, is, as is today, there was a, a, a gobbling up and there was a devouring of the giftings. And what I mean by that is he was going to try to use Jesus' ministry for merchandise. So today we have those that have been raised up in the arena of, of, of the generals of the faith and, and, and those that are being raised up today but because of personification that's been and charisma that has been mistaken for anointing. Y'all are quiet right now. We have a whole lot of charismatic people today that God wants to use but their charisma, it should not be used for their own gain. Their egocentricity is so obvious. The egocentricity today that we see in the arena of Christendom, it seemingly now is all about what I can do for me. What I can do for me. How I can get by. You know, as I said, I've done a lot of traveling by myself. If I didn't go by myself, it was maybe two or three other people. Went on one trip to Kenya when the airport burnt down. How many remembers when the airport got burnt in Kenya? Anybody remember that a few years ago? Had 22 people with me at that time. Just happened to be 22 people with me at that time from America. Husbands, wives, and their children. Not a good thing. It's time to come home. You get to the, you're about to go to the airport. You're drinking some coffee. Good coffee. How many likes coffee? Just say praise the Lord. Amen. Good people there. We're drinking some coffee, fixing to get on the airplane. And look up, and there's Fox News Channel in the little cafe. And it says, uh, uh, Ken, Ken, Kenyatta Airport uh, has just been bombed. That was the African headline. Been bombed. What? We're going home. Oh, my goodness. What do you mean bombed? And all of a sudden they showed the big fire in the, in the airport. And so everyone automatically looks at Pastor Rod and I. And they look at us. And what are we going to do? I said, well, first we're going to pray. We're going to find out where Jesus is right now. Amen. <laughs> and so we found Jesus. He was still in our hearts. And, and, amen. And when we found Jesus, you know what we also did? We also devised a plan. And that was everybody stay together. So we all got together. We had to stay in, in, in Kenya for another five days. And the Assemblies of God uh, Seminary there was kind enough to let us stay in their dormitories that they had just let out the day before. And to make a long story short, the next day after the, uh, the airport had burned and they told us that we would be a week in delay of getting home, uh, I was met with uh, the pastors and uh, Pastor Rod and I, and I, and I said to him, he said, well, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, I know we're out of the will of God, though. <laughs> I know I was supposed to have been here till this day, but I don't know about this day. But we still 
stay close to Jesus. What do you mean, Pastor? I'm telling you that somebody here could be out of the will of God. You say, well, how, what does that mean? But you can still be close to Jesus. You don't have to be separated from Him. These men, what they were speaking and what they were talking about was not the will of God for other people to hear. That's why the Bible says there were two, not 20. Amen. There should not be a negative twist on the gospel. There should be truth. Can you say amen? Because there is no negativity about the gospel. There's only truth. Today they say, well, you preach a negative gospel because you talk about that place that nobody wants to talk about and Hollywood has done their best to try to desensitize this generation about it and it's still called hell. Hell. You don't hear about that much often. Used to, that we used to call the preachers that would holler and scream and spit and all of that like I still do. But anyway, they called them the hellfire brimstone preacher. Now you don't hear of them. Now they have to be on uh, life support or, or they got to be very old and very sick and oh, that's, a, that's an old preacher, glory to God. And so what's happened is we've learned how to categorize demographically those that are preaching the truth and those that are preaching a negative gospel. And, and, and then what's happened is, is that the things that we talk about when it comes to Jesus and his resurrection, they seemingly don't have as much weight as they should. You say, well, Brother Holiday, what about the prayer and the fasting? Doesn't that bring the heavy anointing and doesn't that bring conviction? Absolutely it does. But you must understand there is a work today in this world called the Antichrist. No, it's not somebody that's out coming out of the UN Council yet, but there is the spirit of Antichrist and it was operating in the New Testament church while Paul was alive and it was simply this Jesus even prophesied about it he said in the last days they'll come and they'll say lo here is Christ or there is Christ he said believe it not he wasn't just talking about his time. When the Lord Jesus spoke, it was prophetic as well as it was present. Can you say amen? There's no reason for you and I to declassify the prophetic ministry of Jesus Christ. He was prophetic then, amen? He was prophetic and not only emblematic, he was prophetic. But today it seems like there is a, a, a misunderstanding that what Jesus was saying then was for only then. No. We're living in that time now for people living seven miles or seven inches between. There is no in-between. These men, they were very, very upset. They were downcast. Not one. Some, some were picked up. Some knew his life from the start of it and saw his lifelong fruit. Still yet, not one of the twelve disciples was a scholar or rabbi. They had no extraordinary skills, neither religious nor refined were they. They were only ordinary people just like you and me. Nothing extraordinary about them. Nothing refined. They were just like you and I, ordinary people. His ministry proved to be that of God-sent nature because the irrefutable and notable miracles done by him. His first miracle, we know it. First, turning the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. Other miracles. The, the Cana of Galilee miracle was one that was notable. Uh, Brother Yates talked about the the issue of blood that the woman had. Amen. Many miracles Jesus did. Jesus also in those times had contention with the religious Sadducees and Pharisees. His contentions led to his conviction. If he would have just went with the flow and, and didn't, you know, didn't, 
you know, go against the grain or rock the boat or however, whatever, uh, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use. If, if, if he just would have just been one of the guys, just be one of the guys, one of the religious politicians. What's wrong with just believing everything that, that necessarily you don't believe? And if you don't want to believe it, don't believe it in privacy. <laughs> Did you catch that? Just don't believe it in privacy. Just when you're around us, believe it. Let's just all get along. Let there be no conflict. Let there be no confrontational spirit, they say. It's not necessarily confrontation. It's truth being established. And when you establish truth, it's just like these rocks here. It's just like these rocks. These rocks were put there not to be moved. They weren't put there so someone could say, you know what, my dear brother, I don't think I like this brown rock right here. i got to find a brown one. I don't like this brown rock right here. I think this brown rock needs to be taken out and, and, and then moved over here. And then someone else come and say, well, okay, I don't like it there. Let's move it over here. You can't rearrange the truth. And that's what's happening. The, the, the society has tried to rearrange the truth. You say, what do you mean? Try to change it. They tried to change it. They tried to tell people that there is not a place called eternal, eternal hell. There's not a place called heaven. That, there, that you can say there is, but to believe in something so literal and to believe in something so majestic and something so horrible and, and something so damnable is wrong. It might be wrong for the person that doesn't want to believe it, but it's still true. It's still true. I know because I believe with all my heart that I was saved from hell. I was saved from my sins, but I was forgiven of my sins, but I was saved from impending judgment. Why? No, it wasn't because uh, God giving me another chance. God's a good old guy. He just looked at me and he says, ah, I'll, I'll let you slide. No, it's because he loved me. He loved me. He showed me something that I had never been shown before. My own parents, my, my, I didn't know my father until I was 32 years old. My own family could not love me the way Jesus told me. Jesus said, why are you talking and you're having this conversation and you're so sad? Jesus had met with them and began to walk with them. And as he's walking with them, they're talking and they don't know who he is. And he said, why are you so sad? <laughs> I mean, what in the world is happening? Is there something I can do to help? Are you, I mean, what's going on? You look as if someone has just passed away. Have you not heard the things that have happened to our our king, our Messiah, our Savior in Jerusalem, how that they crucified him and, and, and then they put him in the tomb and, and, then, and then they went to go look for him and he's gone. We expected him to raise his kingdom up and now he's gone. We don't have anything anymore. So we're just going to go back to life as it is. And all the while, while they're saying this, Jesus looks at them and says these words, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He was saying to them, son, he was saying, do you, do, do, so, so when you can't see salvation, you just automatically do away with the fact that it was prophesied before it came. It came and now it's no more. 
but you believed the prophecy and you held on to it. You saw the prophecy fulfilled in Christ's coming, but now you don't see him anymore, so now the prophecy is nullified and now the Christ is nullified. Think about that. Oh, fools and slow of heart. Jesus was saying, you never let your heart catch up to who I am. There was always that distance there. What was that distance? That distance was there because the Bible said that God would allow them to be blind. You hear me? Why? So that you and I could see who He is. But their hearts were so close to Him. They were His disciples. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Then He began to expound with them in verse 27. All the scriptures concerning himself. They, clo- they, they, they came to a place in their travel. They came to a place in their travel, and the, and the place that they came to was very common because what they did is they, they came to what is called a Y in the road. Now we know that a Y in the road means it's where the one road splits off the two. I, I just want to play with this for a minute. Mind. I don't use that term a lot, but I just want to look at this for a minute, if you don't mind. A Y in the road is one that turns into two, but then also I'm uh, in my spirit I'm thinking that they've been in the Y in the road ever since they left Jerusalem. Why? Why? Why was it that we put all of our faith, our trust in Him, and we expected Him to be the Messiah, but now He's gone? Why is it that when I got saved, everything was fine, but then why? Now things are bad. I've been saved for five years, and it seems like the marriage, the kids, the job, the this, the that. Why? A lot of people have been in a Y for a long time. What is amazing is they came to the Y in that road, and it would look like that Jesus was going to just go his way now, because that's what would happen. He would go his way. People would often just join together in conversation on a journey like this for seven miles. Can anybody imagine walking seven miles with me? Personally, I can't imagine walking seven miles right now. I've done it in the bush. felt like 70, but anyway. Seven miles walking. Now listen, ma'am, sir, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Seven miles back then, brother, it's still seven miles today. You hear me? However long, look, the average man is five, ten, six foot. He has a span in his legs. It can only go so far, brother. In other words, my point is seven miles is seven miles. However long it takes you to walk seven miles today, it took them to walk that then. Seven miles. And then they come to the wild. When they come to the Y, it looked as if Jesus was just going to keep going. And so what they did, because he had so much knowledge of the Scripture that they wanted to hear more. They didn't even realize that they were being fed. Why were they being fed? They were being fed because their faith was dead. Their faith was dead, so they were being fed. So the next time that they look at him, they say, why don't you just... Come in and, and, and break bread with us. Come in and eat with us because it's dark and, and you know, there's marauders and you know how it is when you travel by yourself. And Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll go in with you. 
So they go in and my final statement. When they go in, they, they come in and they sit down at the table. When they sit down at the table and take the bread. I, I just I want to be able to be so close to him. I want to be able to be so close to him that, that I that I can see him for who he really is. Not for what people and what things today try to picture him as. They took the bread, they broke the bread, and when they did, their eyes were open. And they saw it. It was Jesus! Jesus, their Savior. They couldn't find him in the tomb. But we found him in the trial of our faith. They couldn't find him in the tomb, but we found him on the road. We were discouraged, and they said these words. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? When did our heart, our hearts burn within us when we were, when he was expounding, when he was preaching, and when he was talking to us? Why didn't our hearts burn with us? And I would like to say today they were saying we were so close yet so far away. We were still as if we were away from him seven miles away. If they would have just continued to believe instead of seven miles from Jesus, they would have known they were only seven inches. If you were to walk with me down a path, probably, so you and I could have a conversation and it wouldn't be awkward, we'd be about seven inches from one another. They were seven miles from Jesus in their spirit and in their mind and in their heart. They were only seven inches from Jesus. How many want to be only seven inches from you? I want to be only seven inches from you. And I want it every day. Because soon and very soon, I'm going to be like him and with him. And how that's going to happen is I'm going to live for him down here like I want to live with him up there. Can you say amen? I want to be so close to him. You say, preacher, everybody wants to be close to Jesus. But my question to you this morning Really? Does everybody want to be close to Jesus? It's only those that have allowed him to come in and sup with them, with, with, with him with them, that, that want to be as close to Jesus as they can be. And I wonder this morning, I do, I wonder in my heart, I've, I've pondered on it, I've, I've thought about it, I just wonder, is there someone here that says, preacher, I want to be close to Jesus. I want to be that close to him, but I'm not. And I need to be close to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I want to be saved. I, I want to live this Christian life and I want to live it so close to Jesus because the world and everything and all my problems, they seem to be stronger than I am. Oh, listen to me. Listen to me. That's why they're devised. is to oppress you and break you. But Jesus has come to take that pressure of sin, that oppression off of you, and to put it upon his shoulders. That's why he took the cross. 